lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. So we are chapter 10, and we learned in the previous chapter that although the distance from God, from Hashem, and the highest sphira, the highest emanation, which is Chachma, wisdom, is much more distant than the distance between wisdom and action. And so therefore, just like if someone told you I can grasp a concept with my hands, you would laugh. It's a ridiculous statement. So too, if someone said, I cannot grasp a concept with my hand. The concept is so deep, I can't grasp it with my hand. It's just a nonsensical statement. There's no relationship between action and creativity and intelligence and spirituality. Although there's only a five degree of separation, five degrees of separation between the two. There's the hands, and then there's the mouth, the speech, and then there's thought, and then there's emotion, the heart, and then there's the mind, and the creative, creative ability of the mind, which is the initial spark, the highest level of the mind, which is creativity. The window to the soul. So there's only five degrees of separation, and yet, look what a gap there is. There's such a vast canyon. There's such a grand canyon, such a vast gap between action and, and, and creativity. That there's no relationship. You can't relate action and creativity. Well, multiply that thousands, millions, billions, trillions of times. The distance between the emanator, Hashem, and what he emanates from himself, which is creativity, which is the beginning of what we call Seder Hishtalshul, the beginning of the linear sequential, step-by-step development from wisdom to understanding, from understanding to knowledge, to emotions, to thought, speech, and action. So how much more so that we cannot relate to God? We have nothing to relate to God. There's an abyss, there's an abysmal distance, there's an unbridgeable gap between us and God. We, can't, we don't even have the tools to relate. And not, we can't even say we cannot relate to Him. There's just no relationship. Because even, even the divine emanation of wisdom is so distant from the emanator, from God. So you cannot grasp God. As the Zohar says, less machshava There's no thought that can grasp God. So if there's a distance between action, material and emotional, and intellectual, and spiritual, which is only five degrees of separation, how many separations are there between spirituality and God? So all religions and all mysticisms confuse God with spirituality. What does God have to do with spirituality? If there's a distance between spiritual and material, how much more so that there's a distance between spiritual and God? There's no relationship. To God, spiritual is action, is the end of the totem, is the equivalent of the hand. Just like if someone will tell you, I can grasp God with my hand. You laugh. Ridiculous. Absurd. Even more so. If someone will tell you, God is so great, I cannot grasp Him with my hand. You'll also laugh. It's a ridiculous statement. What, can, what connection does grasp? You can't grasp God with your hand. It's equally as ridiculous and as nonsensical for a person to say, I can grasp God with meditation. I can sense God through spirituality. Through mind-blowing uh, experiences. 
through ecstasy, through higher levels of consciousness, through music, through love, religion, meditation, spirituality. It's equally as ridiculous. If someone says, I get closer to God, I can grasp God, it's nonsensical. It's equally as nonsensical to say that God is so deep that I simply cannot grasp Him through religion, through meditation. There's no way of that. There's no relationship, there's no connection. There's an abysmal there's an abysmal distance between us. And Dr. Rebbe spent so much time elaborating on this point because this is really gets to the crux, the essence of Jewish faith. That God is so distant. Don't confuse spirituality with God. Don't confuse religion with God. Don't think that you have God, you grasp God with intuition, with intuition which is creativity. Intuition and creativity and you get a sense, a felt sense of God and spirituality and meditation and you become one with God, you become united with God. There's such a vast, huge gap. Unbridgeable chasm. And yet at the same time we say that God emanates from himself these ten divine emanations. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love, strength, compassion, overcoming, competitiveness, winning, uh, endurance, connection, royalty, thought, speech, all of this emanates from God. How is it possible? If God is so distant from creativity, from intuition, from even divine creativity, how can you say that God is absolutely one with his creativity? It emanates from him. It's God's creativity. How can God merge and unite with something that can contain him, which is so distant from him? which is equal to action, to God, divine attribute of creativity, and this table and this hand is all the same. Just as you can't grasp God with your hand, you can't grasp God with the divine attribute of, of wisdom, divine intuition, divine creativity. And yet at the same time, the table is not God, but the divine attribute of wisdom is God. It's one with God, inseparable from God. Like a body to its soul. It becomes one and inseparable. How is it possible? This is what the Zohar refers to, and this is what we left off. This is what he calls the secret of faith. Raza de Memnusa, it's a secret of faith. It's faith. We don't understand how it's possible that God and His attributes are absolutely one. And as we learned earlier in chapter 8, God is an absolute unity. God is not a composite. As Maimonides says, that God is the knower and the knowledge and, and what's known. You can't separate. Man is a composite. Everything within us is a composite. God is an absolute unity. All of the attributes are one, and God and His attributes are absolutely one. So how is it possible for God who is infinite to be absolutely one with wisdom which is so finite and defined, which is so distant from God because it's, it's so small, it's so... This is a mystery of faith. We don't understand now, but we believe it, that's so. That God emanates from Himself these attributes and is one with His attributes. You know? What are we trying to accomplish when we dive? Are we trying to make a connection? Or? Yes. And that's what He's going to explain over here. That the Torah speaks the language of men, and therefore the Kabbalists were given permission to describe the divine attributes, 
to talk of the divine attributes because since God wants us to be able to relate to Him. So if we talk to God and call Him compassionate one, we can relate to Him. Our heart melts. We know what compassion is from our own personal experience. So some way, some level, we can talk about God's compassion. We understand what creativity is. We can talk about God's creativity. We have an understanding of what brilliance is. We can talk about God's brilliance. We, can, we understand what knowledge is. Awareness, knowledge. We can talk about God's knowledge. We can talk about God's seeing, God hearing. We can talk about God's love, God's compassion. We can talk about God's overcoming enemies. We can talk about God's endurance, God's strength, God's sense of connection, God's charisma, God's connection, God's royalty. God speaking, God thinking, God acting. So the Kabbalists were given permission to talk about God in the language of man, the language that we can relate to. But at the same time, we have to bear in mind that we're talking about God. Something that's undefined, not only infinite, undefined. And that's what he's going to talk about in this chapter. Chapter 10, 960, page 960, Nevertheless. Nevertheless, despite the fact that the, that the Sefirot transcend intellect and comprehension, since the Torah speaks as in the language of man in order to modulate for the ear what it is able to hear, permission has been granted to the Kabbalists, scholars of truth, to speak allegorically of the Sefirot. The Kabbalists call the Sefirot lights, using terminology borrowed from the revelation of light so that by means of this metaphor, the nature of the unity of the Holy One, blessed be He, and His attributes will be somewhat understood by us. It is by way of illustration, like the unity of the sunlight that is within the solar globe, with the solar globe itself, which is called not only sun, but also a luminary, inasmuch as it emits light. Okay, so he's bringing an analogy, this analogy he brought earlier, but in a different, different context. The analogy of the light of the sun within the sun. You cannot give what you don't have. If the sun gives out light, surely the sun has light within it. Yet within the sun, there is no light. All there is is the sun. There is no light. All there is is the sun. And the sun's ability to give out light, to emit light. And the light of the sun, and this analogy he used earlier in chapter 3 he used this analogy earlier in chapter 3 when he described how in chapter 2 how the divine energy chapters 1 and 2 how divine energy must constantly create the world every moment the divine creative energy has to constantly bring the world into creation otherwise the world would revert back to nothingness and the miracle of creation is much greater than the miracle, the ultimate miracle, the splitting of the sea. So he says, based on that, if you understand that, then you can understand that since, just like the light of the sun is totally dependent on the sun, it cannot exist a moment without the sun. But the light of the sun, outside of the sun, the light of the sun is an independent entity. There's the sun, the globe, the sun globe, and then there's a light. The sun is the sun and the light is a light its own properties, its own, it's a dependent reality, but it's, it's a, a reality of its own, but it's totally dependent on its source. But with the divine energy that's constantly creating, it's like the light of the sun within the sun. Because the divine energy is constantly within 
everything that's being created. As he said, everything has a divine word that brings it into creation. Every particular entity in this world, whether angel or physical entity or spiritual entity or even the entity of light, or it's the Hebrew letters, or that bring light into existence with all the properties of light. The Hebrew letters of Shemesh that bring the sun into existence with all the properties of the sun. And even water, everything has a Hebrew word, a Hebrew letters and Hebrew words, which is really the shape and the divine energy, the building blocks that bring and sustain and bring everything into existence. So since these divine energies have to constantly create every single thing that exists in this world, therefore, the name, the Hebrew name, the divine energy has to constantly be inside inside, constantly bring into existence. So it's not just that everything that exists is totally dependent on its source. It cannot exist a moment without its source. It's like the light of the sun cannot exist for a moment without the sun. If you can't separate light from the sun from the sun, you can't bottle the light and remove it from the sun. You block the sun, there's no light. You can't see the source, you can't see the light. Like electricity, you block the connection. There's no, from the generator, there's no electricity. It has to be constantly, continuously plugged in and connected to its source. Constantly flowing from its source. But here it's more than that. Because this, you are within the source. The entity is within the source. The source is within, within the water. You have the source. The divine energy is inside of the water. The Hebrew letters of Mayim, word Mayim, Mem, Yud, Mem, are inside the water, constantly creating it. So the, the entity, the water, the physical water is constantly within its source. And just like the light of the sun when it's within the sun, the light is totally nullified. There is no light. It doesn't exist. All there is is the sun. There's nothing else but the sun. The light is completely nullified. You can't even call it by a name. It has no name. It's almost as if it doesn't exist. Of course, you have light there. You have to have light there. If the, the sun can give out light, surely it has light. You can't give what you don't have. But while it's within the sun, all there is is the sun. And the sun's ability to give out light, but there's nothing else. There's no entity. The only entity is the sun. The light is totally nullified within the sun. It's there, but it's totally not there. The sun doesn't, doesn't even know it exists. And the, I like the analogy you brought earlier in the first part of Tanya that we learned. In chapter, in chapter 20, he brought the analogy of letters, words. When a person speaks, where do these words come from? These words don't come from thin air, they come from you. So these words were there even before you had the words. But before you had words, when you just had the raw emotion, or you had the raw intellect, you have no words yet. The words are there, but they're not there. They're there, but I can't even call it by its name. There is no words. I don't even know where the words are. I don't even have the words. The words are there. They're contained within the raw concept, but they're totally, they're non-existent. All that is, is the raw concept. All that is, is the raw emotion. Transcends words. You don't love in words, you don't love in French or in English or in Russian. It's just pure emotion, pure experience, raw experience. There are no words. But later on, you find the words. You think about it and you speak and you find the words to communicate this emotion and this experience and this concept. So the words were there. Where did the words come from? You didn't pluck them from thin air. You, it's your words. The words were within you. But while they're within you, they don't exist. You don't even know it exists. It's like totally nullified by its existence. It doesn't exist. So he says, in reality, the physical entity is within its source, within the creative, divine, creative energy that's constantly bringing into existence. So it's like the light of the sun within the sun. Really, it doesn't exist. 
All that is is really the divine energy. God's ability to create something from nothing, that's all there is. There really is nothing else. We see a cup of water because we're blind. We're wearing blinders. If we were to see correctly, we would see the divine energy. That's all we would see. You wouldn't see the seltzer bottle. You wouldn't see the table. You wouldn't see yourself, myself. You would see the sun, the moon. All you would see is the divine energy. That's all there really is. That's, what, that's the substance of everything. There's nothing else. So that's where he brought the analogy earlier on, how just like the light of the sun is completely nullified within the sun, so too the creative entity, everything that God creates, is totally dependent on its source, and more so it's within its source, because its source is within the object. The divine energy is within the water, the divine energy within the earth, the divine energy is within everything that exists, you and I and everything that exists, in the air, in the light, everything that exists, the divine energy is bringing the sun into existence, bringing the heavens into existence, bringing the angels into existence, bringing time and space into existence. It, all it is is nothing other than the divine energy that's constantly creating and bringing the whole entire world into existence. So it's completely nullified within its source. And that's the context he brought this analogy earlier on in the third chapter. And he mentions it briefly in the first part of Tanya in chapter 33. Here he's bringing out a different point altogether, as the Rebbe points out. And that's why we're going to learn. He brings out a great length. He elaborates because here he's trying to bring out an entirely different point. He's trying to bring out not the nullification of created entities regarding its source. He's trying to bring out the unification of the light with its source. That the Sefirot, the Kabbalah is called the Sefirot lights. Why do they call the Sefirot lights? Light is a physical entity. It's, a very, it's, it's something that emanates from something physical. The globe, the earth, the, I mean the, the globe the, of the sun. It's also something physical. Whatever it is, hydrogen energy, whatever it is, fusion but it's, it's still a physical entity. So why did they use a marshal, a parable, an inaccurate parable, trying to explain the spherot? So they're only using it in order to help us understand the idea of unity. How unified the spherot are with their source, with God, who's infinite and undefined. And that's the analogy. Just like light is unified within its source, because a light... And this is the difference between a created entity and its source versus a light and its source. A created entity versus its source is not a reflection of its source. The created being is not a reflection of God. This is not God. A cup of water is not God. If you bow down to a cup of water, it's idolatry. The sun is not God. If you bow down to the sun, it's idolatry. The angel is not God if you bow down to an angel and say idolatry. It's not a reflection of God. It's a creature of God. Spiritual beings are creatures of God, but are not God. If one bows down to a spiritual being, it's idolatry. One worships spirituality, it's idolatry. It's not a reflection of God. It's not a reflection of its source. The created entity is not a reflection of the creative energy. It's not a reflection of God. It's completely nullified before God. From God's perspective, all there is is, is his own creative energy. There's nothing else. What's the sun? God's creative energy. What's the cup of water? God's creative energy. What's the amoeba? God's creative energy. What's air? God's creative energy. There is nothing else. It's completely nullified within its source. Just like the light of the sun is completely nullified within the sun, you can't find the light. All there is is this entity of the sun. 
Just like the letters within the soul. All that it is, is all, the, all, the, all you can find is the soul. You can't find the letters. They're there, but they're totally nullified. I can't find it. Or like the other beautiful analogy the Kabbalists use, like everything is made up of the four basic elements, earth, water, liquid, gas, and fire. Where do you find earth and water? Cook water. Clean water. Water that went through all the drains that you keep in your sink, all the uh, filters. Pure water. Bottled water. Cook it. What are you going to find at the bottom of the pot? Inevitably, you're going to find sediment. Earth, pebbles. Where was this? It was clean water. I filtered it. Where did he get this? Where did it come from? It was there all along. But you can't, it's there, but it's not there. I can't find it. I can't see it. It's only when you cook up the water that you discover the sand. So something is totally nullified in existence. It's there, but it's not there. But light, however, is different. Light is a reflection of its source. The sun is basically a light producer, energy, fusion, hydrogen, constant explosions of hydrogen, a source, infinite source of energy. And it gives off light and heat because that's what it is. The Torah calls the sun Hamar, the great luminary, because that is what the sun is. And the light is a reflection of its source. So therefore, when you say that the luminary, the sun, contains light, means it's, even though you can't find light in the sun, it's totally unified with the light. All there is is the sun, there's nothing else. But what happens to the light? The light is. You can't say the light is not there. If the whole sun is about light, and light is a reflection of its source, so the light reflects its source. So the sun is about light, and the light that it emits is also light. And yet it doesn't exist. Because it's totally unified within its source. It's so unified that all, all you see, all you have is, is light, is the sun. All you have is the sun. You don't have the light. All you have is the light. When does the Torah call the light light? Only once it's active. Once it leaves the sun. Once the light leaves the sun, then the Torah calls day. Hashem called Yer Yom. When the light actually is active during the day and it actually leaves the sun and actually illuminates, then we can call it by its name, call it light. While the light is still in the sun, you can't even call it by its name. Although the light is a reflection of the sun, so obviously the sun is all about light and all about heat and all about energy. Nevertheless, the light is totally unified with its source. All there is is the source. All there is is the sun's potential to give off light. The sun, and, and that's all it is. It's part of the sun. The sun has a potential to emit light. But before it emits light, when the light is still within the source, all that you have is the sun. There's nothing else. So this is a parable. This is a, an analogy to help us understand how you have an entity that's totally unified within its source. Even though while it's within its source, it doesn't have a name, it doesn't have any separate identity, it doesn't have a separate entity, it's totally one, absolutely unified with its source. All there is is its source. And this helps us understand the relationship between the Svirot and God, who emanates the Svirot. 
that the Svirot are like light within the sun. And when the light is within the sun, there are no names. You can't call them by, name, by its name. When could you call light, light? Only when it leaves the sun. When it's within the sun, all that you have is, is the source, the luminary. So too, the Svirot are totally one with the God, with the infinite, with the undefined, so that within God, you can't even call it by its name. There are no Svirot. You can't call the Svirot by its name. You can't call Chachma, Bina, Das, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Within God, they're totally unified with God. They come from within God. They emanate from within God. And they reflect God in a certain sense. They're divine emanations. They're divine. It's a divine wisdom. It's an infinite wisdom. It's an infinite compassion. They reflect God. They emanate from God. They reflect God. But while they're within God, you can't even call it by its name. Just like you can't call light, light, when it's within the orb, when it's within the luminary, within the sun. It's only in relationship to us when God creates the world and conducts the world through His ten sefirot, after He creates us, and He conducts the world and He runs the world based on the ten sefirot, then we can call the ten sefirot by its name. We talk about God's wisdom, we talk about God's attribute of love, and we talk about God's attribute of compassion. But that's only like when the light leaves the orb, when God conducts His world with the ten sefirot then we can start talking about give the Ten Svirot the name. The Kabbalists are given permission to talk about the Ten Svirot, the divine attribute. Then we can talk about the divine attribute of wisdom, the divine attribute of love, the divine attribute, all, all the ten divine attributes. But while the, the Svirah is within its source, you can't even call it by a name. It's to- absolutely unified with God. Just like God is infinite and undefined, there's an absolute unity. All there is is God. All there is is God. There is no sphere. It doesn't exist. All there is is God. Just like the light. When the light is within the sun, although the light is a reflection of the sun. So seemingly the light is an entity. It reflects the sun. It's not like a name. When you call someone by his name, the name doesn't reflect the person. You call someone Shimon. You call someone Sarah. Do I know anything about the person from a name? A name is not a reflection of a person. A light is a reflection. When I see a light, I see, I see the source. I know what the source is all about. The source is energy. A massive explosion of source of energy. And therefore the light tells me something of the source. Energy from the light of the sun and the heat of the sun. I can know something of the, of the source. The light reveals the source. Reveals something about the source. Is a reflection of the source. And yet, nevertheless, there is no light to be found in the sun. It's there. But it doesn't exist. It's totally unified, absolutely unified with the sun, that all there is is the sun, and its potential to give off light. So to God, we talk about the ten divine attributes, talking about the infinite attribute, divine attribute of wisdom, God's infinite wisdom, God's infinite brilliance, God's infinite knowledge, God's infinite love, God's infinite strength, God's infinite compassion. And they are divine emanations. They are a reflection of God. They emanate from God. But while they're unified within the source, all there is is the source, the luminary. All there is is God. I can't talk about the spirit. 
I can't find it. What wisdom? What are you talking about wisdom? God is not wisdom. God is not brilliance. God is not love. God is not compassion. God is not spirituality. God is not intellect. God is not emotion. What are you talking about? I can't find it. All there is is God. Only when God relates to us, when God runs his world and creates us and conducts the world and creates us through the ten spheroes, through his ten divine attributes, like the light, and the light is outside of the sun, here I can start talking about the ten spheroes. We can, we can start discerning, we talk about God's wisdom, God's love, God's compassion. So that in order we should be able to have some sort of relationship with him and connect with him. I can't grasp this permission. Where, where did the permission come from? From Hashem himself, because he wants us to relate to him. Otherwise, we have no way of relating to him. We have no, we only know things from our own personal experience. We are a composite being, number one. We are limited by our finitude, by our intellect, by our emotion. We have no way of knowing God. How do we relate to God? We can't feel Him. We can't comprehend Him. We can't meditate in Him. We can't, there's no way we can connect with God. But the Kabbalists got permission. They got permission from Hashem because Hashem created the world and emanated from Himself these ten spheroes and runs the world and creates the world constantly through the ten spherot. These are his tools to which he creates the world. Within the world you have these ten spherot. We are within the spherot and we are run and conducted through the spherot. Since the spherot runs through our whole being and God creates us and sustains us and the whole world came into being through these ten spherot. As I'll say later, God created the world with the ten spherot. So the, our very substance is really the ten spherot, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And, and that's why man who's reflected, created the image of God, also is made up of these ten faculties. As we have a minion, ten reflects reality. That these are the building blocks with which God creates the world, with the ten spherot. So therefore, when God creates us with the ten spherot, and he relates to us with the ten spherot, then we have some sort of relationship. Now, God wanted us to be able to relate to him. He wants us to have a relationship out of his love for us. So God concentrated himself and contained himself and expressed himself through these svirat, which is a very concentrated form and a very finite form. He chose the He chose. Well, the Kabbalists talk about the svirat. That's the portion of the Torah that deals with these matters, with the esoteric. So that's why he says the Kabbalists. Yeah, God gave the Jew permission. Through the Torah, God revealed to us these truths and he gave us permission to talk about him in the terminology of the ten svirot. Not for a moment we should confuse God with the svirot or confuse God with, with wisdom and knowledge and intellectualism and, and spirituality and the mind. God is beyond definition. God is beyond description. God is infinite. God is undefined. But at the same time, God did emanate from himself these ten svirot. And they're at, at the same time, they're absolutely one with him. He allows us to talk about the ten spherot so we can relate to him in some way. But the Kabbalists refer to the spherot with the metaphor of light, the orot. Whenever the Kabbalists talk about the divine emanation, they talk about the orot, orot atzilut, the lights of the world of emanation. What do you mean lights? Light shining? It's nothing physical. They're not talking about anything physical. They're talking about something divine. It's not even spiritual. We're talking about something divine. 
But he's using an analogy. Yeah, just like the light is inseparable from its source. And within, while the light is within its source, light reflects the source. Surely the light is within the source in a much stronger fashion than it is outside of the source. Yet nevertheless, while it's within the source, you can't even call it by its name. There is no light to be found. All there is is the source. The light is totally unified with its source. And don't forget, a light and the sun and the luminary, they're both physical entities. How much more so? With the divine attributes, which emanate from God, although they're the lights, they're a reflection of God. Nevertheless, while they're within the source, you can't name them. They're undefined. All there is is God. They're totally unified with God. And all they are is God's potential to emanate from Himself these attributes. It's only when the ten spherot are active in relationship to us human beings, to us created beings, then we were given permission, we can start talking about and start distinguishing and discerning and calling chachma and bidna and that wisdom and understanding and knowledge and intellect and spirituality and emotion and thought and speech and action. Then you can start talking about all these different points and talk about all these different connections and all these different um, uh, pipes, all these different channels through which God creates us and sustains us and gives us life and gives us blessings and but that's only relationship to us but in relationship to God we have to remember the lights lights that are within the source that are one with the source and that could only be said regarding the ten divine attributes you can't say the same regarding a physical entity that's why earlier in chapter 3 when he compared all created entities to light like within the source. It wasn't an accurate analogy. Because created beings are not lights. They're not a reflection of the source. On the contrary. Created beings are total, don't exist. Created beings are totally nullified. Created beings are non-entities. You can't say, God forbid, that God and the water is one. God is not water. The water is not God. If you bow down to water, if you, or God and the sun is one. If you bow down to the sun, you're an idolater. Or God and the angel are one. If you bow down to an angel, you're an idolater. The angel is not God. The angel doesn't have the substance of God. God and the angel are not one. The angel is completely nullified before God. How can God and the angel be one when there is no angel? From God's point of view, there is no angel, there is no sun, there is no water. All that exists is the God's divine creative energy. There really is nothing else. So the entire created world is totally nullified within existence, doesn't exist. It's not a real entity to God. So you can't say God is unified with the created being from the highest, the most spiritual, most sublime to the most physical, to the amoeba, or the atom. But God and His attributes are one. It's God's wisdom. It's divine. It's holy. It's God's name. Every name refers to a different divine attribute. Hashem. Elohim, kale is kindness, divine attribute of love. Elohim is God's stern restriction. And Hashem is compassion. Hashem is compassion. And then you have Shakai, and you have Tzavakas. All the seven names of God, each one reflects a different aspect of God. And Adonai, which is royalty, speech. So God and His attributes are one. The attributes are like light. It's a true analogy of light. 
In that sense, it's a genuine comparison to light. Just like light is a reflection of its source, so to the divine attributes are a reflection of God. They're godly. It's a godly compassion. Not like human compassion, not, a, not like even an angel's compassion. An angel's an angel, an angel's not God. When you talk about the divine attributes, you're talking about God's compassion. It's divine compassion. It's a godly compassion. It's godly brilliance, godly creativity, godly intuition, godly knowledge and awareness, godly love or strength or whatever. So you're talking about a reality. You're talking about a, that's like light that reflects its source. And nevertheless, when that light is within the source, you can't, it, I can't find it. There is no light. I can't even call it by its name. When does the Torah call light, give light a name? When it turns day, when it becomes active, when it leaves the sun, when it emits from the sun and actually lights up the world outside of the sun, then you can call it by the name light. So when the divine attributes actively affect the creation of the world and the sustaining of the world, and it creates us and affects us, and, we, and that's, those are the building blocks of which God creates the world, then we, the Kabbalists, then the Jews were given permission to call God by his name, to call the divine attributes by their name. Attribute of wisdom, the attribute of love, and compassion, etc., the ten attributes. But while the divine attributes are within the source, from God's point of view, there are no points, there are no attributes, all there is is God. The infinite and undefined God, there's nothing else. I can't even find wisdom. What are you talking about? What wisdom? When wisdom? What love? What spirituality? What, what mental intellect? What mind? What are you talking about? All that exists is God. So in that sense, only when you talk about the divine attributes is the metaphor of light, an accurate metaphor. The only reason they used the metaphor of light in chapter 3 was just to point out that just like light is totally dependent on its source, you can't bottle the light and take, remove it from its source. The moment you disconnect the, the electricity from its, the current from its source, it's generated, it ceases to exist. So too, every created entity is constantly dependent on its source. But it's not like the light of the sun that leaves the sun. The sun is in one place and the light is in another place. The divine energy is within the creative energy. The Hebrew letters, the divine energy is within the created object. Constantly creating it within the water, within the sun, within the heavens, within everything that exists. You and I, the table, everything that exists. The ear, everything. The light. And therefore, it's like the light of the sun within the sun only in the sense that the light doesn't exist. That's what he's trying to bring out over there. That the world is a non-entity. From God's point of view, from the creative point of view, from the creative ability to create, from that point of view, all there is is the creative ability. There's nothing else. It's a non-entity. Angel, heaven, earth. And it's all created ultimately from the same substance. It's created from God. But it's not an accurate analogy. Because the light of the sun reflects the sun. God forbid to say that the created entity is a reflection of God. How could it be a reflection of God if it doesn't even exist? God is reality and this is a non-real a non reality. But the divine attributes are genuine. The divine attributes are like light. They are a reflection of God. They're godly. They're real. They're eternal. They have the ability to create. The divine attribute of speech and that silas of the world of emanation, it's with that speech and those words that God creates the whole world. Only God has the power to create. So even the word of God is holy, not only holy, is divine, and has the ability to create, as he said earlier. And he's going to elaborate in the, in the following chapter. So it's divine. It's a reflection of God, something re real, reality. But nevertheless, 
even the light that's a reflection of its source, that the Torah calls a luminary when the light is within the source, and surely the light is within the source, and while it's within the source, there's no name, I have no name for it, it doesn't exist, I can't find it. All that exists is the source. So too, the, divine, the godly divine emanations, which are godly, and like light reflect their source, are divine. But when they're within God, they're absolutely unified with God. All that exists is God. There is nothing else. God is not a composite. God is an absolute unity. I can't even find wisdom. What are you talking about? Wisdom, love, compassion. It doesn't exist. It's totally unified. All there is, all there is, is God. It's only when in relation to us, when we as created beings, and God created us with the ten building blocks, with the ten divine attributes that God emanated from Himself. And that's how God relates to us, and that's how God creates us, and that's our substance. And that's how God conducts the world through those ten spirits. Those are the channels through which God conducts His world. Then we can start talking about and differentiating and noticing and discerning and attributing and calling wisdom and love and say the name Kale, the name that describes divine compassion, love and the four letter name of Hashem the divine attribute of compassion and then Adnai, God's royalty and mastery, etc. Okay, the Kabbalah is called the Sphere of Light. The Kabbalah is called the Sphere of Light using terminology borrowed in the revelation of light so that by means of this metaphor the nature of the unity of the Holy One blessed be He and His attributes will be somewhat understood by us. It is by way of illustration, like the unity of the sunlight that is within the solar globe, with the solar globe itself, which is called not only sun, but also a luminary, inasmuch as it emits light, as it is written that Hashem created the great luminary, i.e. the very source of light. The radiation in the beam which spreads forth and shines from it is called light, as it is written, and Hashem called, and God called the light day, when the light is within its source in the orb of the sun, it is united with it in absolute unity. But there within the sun there is only one entity, namely the body of the luminary which emits light. It would hardly be reasonable to say that within the orb of the sun there exists two things, the luminary and its light. Within the sun globe, only the sun itself exists. For there the radiation and light is absolutely one being with the body of the luminary, which illuminates, and it has no existence by itself at all. The appearance of radiation and light outside the sun would seem to indicate that light exists within the sun itself. For if it reaches out and illuminates the whole world, it is surely found within its source. In fact, however, when the sunlight is considered at the stage at which it is found within the luminary itself, it is so completely identified with it that it cannot be termed light at all. Within the sun, the light has no existence with an independent identity. Okay, and that's why he elaborates, that's what the Rebbe explains, he elaborates at such a great length. He uses the Torah. The Torah says, the great luminary, that the sun is a great luminary. Do I need to bring a verse? Do I need to bring a verse from the Torah to prove that the sun is a luminary? Take a look. Everyone could see it for himself. And, um, and why does he tell us that the sun is called... Luminary and it brings a uh, proof. And then he continues and elaborates and says that the light is called light. As it says in the verse, God called day light. Why do I need to bring a verse? And what's the connection to day and light? And what's he trying to say here? And if he needs all this elaboration, why didn't he elaborate earlier in chapter 3? 
And the explanation is because here he's bringing out an exact opposite point of what he's bringing out in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is he was trying to bring out, he was talking about the created beings, how all created beings are totally nullified within its source, just like the sun, light of the sun is totally nullified within the entity that we call sun. It doesn't exist. You can't find it. It has no name. It doesn't exist. Like letters, letters within a person's soul. It's there, but it's not there. Totally nullified. It doesn't exist. Not that it's unified with your soul, it's nullified. And here he's trying to bring out another analogy. Here he's trying to bring out the exact opposite point. That here we're talking about the divine attributes, and divine attributes are not nullified to God, they're unified with God. It's not that the divine attributes don't exist. Created entities don't exist. Divine attributes, you can't say don't exist, are nullified. Divine attributes are a reflection of God, just like the light is a reflection of the sun. It's divine, it's godly, it's real. It's not arbitrary, created, and it has no real substance of its own. You're talking about divine. It's reality, it's godly. It has the power to create. Divine word has the power to create. Divine letters has the power to create. Because it's divine, it's a reflection, it emanates from God, it's a reflection of God. So you can't say it doesn't exist within God. God forbid. It's real. At the same time, it's totally one, unified. That all that there is, is all you can see is the luminary and its ability to, to give off light. You can't find the light, the actual light inside the sun. The sun is the sun. When, that's where he brings the proof in the verse. When does the Torah call light, light? When it's day. When it's active. When it leaves the sun. When it illuminates the world outside the sun. But within the sun, when it's, before it was day, when it was night, before it was day, you can't call light. There is nothing to call light. All there is is, is the sun, the luminary. So the luminary is there, but there is no light. Where is the light? You can't say the light is nothing. The light doesn't exist. What do you mean the light doesn't exist? The light is a reflection of the source. If the source is real, and the light is also real. Just like the ten divine emanations. God is real, and the divine emanations are real. They're divine. You can't say it doesn't exist, it's nothing. Like the angel and the table and the sun and all created beings. You're talking about divine attributes. God is real and his divine attributes are real. So they are, but you can't call them by its name. It's not a separate entity. It's absolutely unified within the source that all there is is the source. Just like the light of the sun is totally unified while it's within the sun, it's totally unified within the sun. All that there is is the sun. All you can call is the luminary and the sun. There's nothing else. And the, the sun's potential to give off light. So within God, all that there is is God. There's nothing else. You can't, call, you can't call divine attributes. Not that divine attributes are not real. Divine attributes are real and they're there. But they're totally, absolutely unified with God. How? It's a mystery. Especially since the distance, as he pointed out so well in the previous chapter, the distance between God and the divine attribute of wisdom and creativity is almost infinite. It's so much greater than the distance between wisdom and action. Physical, material, and the most sublime, the most spiritual, intuitive, creative. The mind. And if we in our little world we can understand and relate to the idea that there's such a distance, there's such a gap between action, hands, and mind, that there's no relationship between the two. You can't grasp the mind with your hands, and you can't not grasp the mind with your hands. There's no relationship. 
and it's only five degrees of separation. How much more so God the emanator and the thousands and millions and billions and trillions of levels beyond it? How can God be one with, with wisdom, with love? It makes no sense to us. That's, that's faith. It was the distinction that the divine attributes, which are so distant from God, yet they emanate from God. They reflect God. They are godly. They are like light that reflects the sun, that comes, emanates from the sun and reflects the sun. So to the divine attributes, reflect God and are, have that infinite capacity just like God has. And just like God has the power to create, the, God's light also has the power to create. God's speech has the power to create. That divine ability to create something from nothing. And it's with God's words and letters and speech that everything comes into being. And yet all the created beings are totally nullified in existence. They're not one with God. They not reflect God. They're not divine. They're not godly. An angel is not godly. The most spiritual sublime being is not godly. And if you worship that angel, it's idolatry. Spirituality is not God, and then philosophy is not God, and religion is not God. It's finite. But the divine attributes are divine. And a reflection of, of the infinite and the undefined. How does that work? That's, that's, that's a mystery. That's the mystery of faith. Raza de Memnusa, the Zohar says. The mystery of the ten attributes. But one thing we do know, that God and His attributes are absolutely one. And to help us understand that, the Kabbalists use the analogy of light. That's why they refer to the divine light. Because the metaphor of light is helpful to understand, just like light reflects its source. And yet, the light doesn't exist within its source. Not because it's not, the light is not real. The light is very real. The light is a reflection of its source. But it's totally unified with its source. That all you have is its source. It's there, but it's totally unified with its source. That you don't have two entities. You have the luminary and you have light. No. You have, all you have is one entity, the, light, the sun, the luminary. So to God, all you have is one entity, which is God, who's unlimited and undefined. And the, S, the ten spherot are real. They're there, but they're totally unified with God. They're all there is is God. An absolute unity. As Maimonides says, God is not a composite. God is an absolute unity. What you ask? What is the world of Azur? Is that when they manifest into... That is the into, the ten, into the attributes? Right, that is when they manifest, when God emanates from himself the ten spherot, and he creates the world with the ten spherot. So they leave the God at that point. It's not to leave that, God. No. From God's point of view, nothing changed. As we learned earlier, nothing changed. From God's point of view, God is unaffected, God is undefined. And the ten spherot are totally unified with God. But God created our point of view. I mean, he creates our point of view and he creates our point of view with these ten spherot. So then we have permission, then we can talk about the attribute of love and the attribute of wisdom and the attribute, divine attribute of the godly attributes of speech and divine attributes of strength and brilliance and creativity and knowledge and so awareness. Is, our, is the world of emanation. It's, yeah, it's, it's Ultimately, ultimately, yes, it's, we are That's describing God, God, but God gives us permission to describe Him. It's not just our... God is giving us permission to describe Him. God did concentrate Himself and reveal Himself and conducts His world, His creations, through the ten Svirot. So God is giving us permission 
to describe him, to be able to talk about him from our own personal experience. Because we are created in the image of God, in the image of the ten, of the ten Sfirot. So the world of Atsilas is really our only connection to God. Because once you get beyond the world of Atsilas, our whole world is a very linear world. Our whole world begins and ends with these five different levels. Material, speech, action, speech, thought, love, emotions, intellect, creativity, intuition, spirituality. That's our whole universe. Very tiny universe. It's like the thousands of wavelengths from the highest screech to the lowest. That's our whole, play, that's our whole playing field. Which is a joke. It's nothing insignificant in comparison to the billions of, of sound waves you have that we totally miss and don't pick up or, the, or, the, or beyond the visible spectrum that to us is darkness because we don't see it. but what we do see is just a tiny the tiny is the end of the spectrum so but we, we don't have the tools we can't relate to something beyond that so our, our world ends our world stops right there chachma create intuition Spirituality, creativity, that's the end of our world. We can't go higher. We don't have the tools. Could a blind person understand sight? He doesn't have the tools. He doesn't know what you're talking about. We don't have the tools to go beyond that. It's closed off. It's a boundary. It's darkness to us. Nothing. We call it nothing because we don't know what it is. We, can't, we, we don't have the tools to come. We have no... But it's there. So beyond the world of Atsilas... You know, the bigger picture, we don't even have the tools to see it. Especially when you get to the world of Ak, like you learned last week, Adam Kadman, where the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, where everything is just interrelated, interconnected, it's not separate points. Our whole world as we know it is totally. It's totally. It's beyond total, that Yeah, beyond that Silas. Adam Kadman, the primordial man. With the whole entire universe is one dynamic whole. Everything is interrelated, interconnected. We're, we're like in the human body, the part of the body which is 99.9% of the body we're totally unaware of. Where the body is, is billions and trillions of events happening in one split second. Where it's, it's all one entity, one dynamic entity. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. All the organs, everything is just interrelated, interconnected. You know, that's a reality that, that, would, that's, that would blow our minds away. It's totally beyond our grasp, beyond our conception of reality. So we can't relate to that. And we're not even talking about the true infinite, the infinite light before the tzimtzum, before the original tzimtzum. So I mean, we, 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 if not the world of Attilus, if not for the world of emanation, if not for the ten spherot, to the ten divine attributes, this is God's mercy, this is God's compassion to us out of his love for us. This is Einstein getting down on his feet and hands and feet and talking baby talk so the baby can smile, the baby can relate to him. So God is, so to speak, getting down on his hands and talking to us in baby language, in our human language. So we can talk to him. We can talk about him. We can have a relationship with him. We're compassionate. God's compassionate. We want to emulate God. God is compassionate. Learn to be compassionate in your life. God is flexible. God is, be, learn to be flexible in your life. God is loving. Learn to be loving in your life. God is strong, learn to be strong in your life when it's called for strength. God uses, God is great to create creative, use your creative ability that God gave you and be creative, your talents. God is brilliant, use your mind. God is knowledge, be knowledgeable, be aware, be knowledgeable, make decisions, choose, choose wisely. 
God overcomes difficulties, competitive, wins, likes to win. Use your ability to win over, over obstacles in your path. Endurance, endure, connect, express, communicate, reveal. So we try to emulate God. God wanted us to have some sort of relationship to Him. It says, follow God's ways, follow God's path. God visits the sick, you should also visit the sick. God buries the dead, also bury the dead. All the examples in the Torah. We try to emulate God, God's compassion, God's goodness, God's kindness, God's brilliance, God's wholeness. So it's, it, the world of Atsilas is the only world that, that it's divine, but it's a world that we can relate to. It's a reality, it's a framework that we can relate to. Because once you get beyond that framework, <laughs> we're lost. How am I going to act with God? Not to no, no action, no speech, no, no, no emotion, no, 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 no religion, no uh, philosophy, no meditation. No purpose. <laughs> I don't have any tools. I don't have any ways to connect with God. So God out of His infinite kindness to us and love for us compressed Himself, concentrated Himself in the framework of the world of Atsilas. It's a world, it's a defined in a way that we can relate to somehow. We talk about divine compassion. Oh, compassion, I know something about compassion. I can relate to it. I know something about creativity. I know something about spirituality. I know something about intuition. I know something about philosophy, about the mind. I know something about the heart. I know something about thought. I know something about speech. I know something about action. So we can copy God and, and do good deeds and, 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 and connect with God. The sun is also a good example because we can generate light. We cannot generate the sun. Well, actually, it says the reason why the soul descends into this world, which for the soul is a plunge, is like falling down from the peak to the abyss. It's because the soul, while the soul was in heaven, the soul was like a light. A light that emanates from the sun. Outside of the sun. An entity, but an entity that's totally dependent on its source. Yes, it's not a reflection, not divine, but in the sense that just like the sun, the light of the sun totally depends on its source, the soul knows that it totally depends on God. It can't be disconnected from God for a moment. The angel knows that it's constantly, like electricity, that's constantly flowing from its source, constantly connected. Not in the sense that light is a reflection of the sun. The soul is not a reflection of God. The soul is not God. If you bow down to a soul, it's idolatry. If you bow down to an angel, it's idolatry. If you bow down to a tzaddik, it's idolatry. A tzaddik is not God. A tzaddik is a soul, a holy soul. It's not God. Not to bow down to a, a, a human being, the most exalted human being. If you bow down to Moses, it's idolatry. A soul is a soul. An angel is an angel. It's not God. It's not a reflection of God. But in the sense that just like the light reflects, uh, is connected to its source and knows that it's connected to its source. And if you look at the light, you see its source. The light points to its source. Look, I'm nothing without the source. I'm connected to the source. A tzaddik, a kabbalist, is someone who has dveikut. What's dveikut? Is constantly attached to his source. Is aware of his source. You look at the tzaddik, you see the source. That's what makes him like a light. He's luminous. That's what happens in heaven. In heaven, the soul is in heaven. The soul is clear. You look at the heaven, you look at the soul, you see the scot. You see the source. 
the angel and the soul have clarity. They know that, that their whole being is only because God is constantly creating them. They're not a separate entity. There's no ego. There's no separate entity, independent entity. They are dependent entity. So they are like the light that's totally dependent on the sun. Why does the soul have to come down into this world? Why does God send the soul into this world which is so torturous to the soul, which is so risky and so dangerous because most people fall and most people fail and most people stumble and they go through life just soiling their soul. Instead of soul, they end up with soil. Why is it worth such a risk? Why take such a risk? For what? Gambling everything. Soul don't have a choice. But why did God do it? So the explanation is, Hasidus explains, because it's only in this world that you reveal that the Jewish soul is not just a light, but the Jewish soul is a, is a like the sun, is a sun. Because since God and the Jew are one, just like God is the luminary, so too a Jew becomes a son. And this was the first message, the first communication in the Torah between God and the very first Jew. God tells Avram, Lech Lecha, leave. Leave the comforts of your home, of your family, of your environment, and go to the land that I will show you. So Hasidus explains that this is also the metaphor of the soul. The soul leaves the comforts of its heavenly, heavenly environment and Hashem sends it on the journey to a faraway country, a journey. Los, go, leave, come to the land that I will show you. I will show you. I will show you your source, your essence. In the heaven, you don't discover your essence. You don't know what you're made up of. You don't know what you're all about. You want to discover what a Jew is all about? Put him into this world, in a very dark world. A world with many, many challenges, with a lot of grief, a lot of heartache, a lot of broken hearts. And put him into this world, seemingly insurmountable obstacles. And curves from left field. And then a Jew becomes a source. A Jew becomes a giver, a creator. A Jew generates electricity, like Avraham. Avraham was a pioneer. Avraham created. Avraham was the first one. He had no family, he had no one. He started everything on his own. A Jew is a creator. A Jew creates an environment. A Jew creates an atmosphere. A Jew changes the world, transforms the world, creates a whole new dynamic. He's able to tilt and change the whole current of the world is able to move the whole world around, revolutionize the world. Because a Jew is a creator. Where do you discover that? Only in this setting. In this setting. A setting in which there is no light. It's darkness. You look at the world, you don't see the dependent, you don't see the connection to God. You see ego, self sufficiency, I. No connection. You see a world that, that it's a revolution to say that there's intelligent design. <laughs> you know, if anyone sees a book, you know there's an author. If someone told you the book was written without an author, they would feel insulted. 
And here you have the establishment looks at you with a straight face and tells you that scientifically there's no intelligent design. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's so, it's so irrational. Someone told you a business was built. You walk down Manhattan, you see the Empire State Building. Oh, no, no, there was no design. There's no intelligence design. Evolution. The, build, the building just happened. The buildings fought amongst each other and it just happened. It's just survival of the fittest. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. You think the Empire State Building is complicated? The human body is complicated. The human mind is complicated. All of this happened by itself. Shakespeare, if I told you Shakespeare was written by a monkey sitting at a typewriter, you'd be insulted. But yet, intelligent design is a revolutionary statement. And it's banned in most, in most schools. In the name of science, of reason. This is darkness. This is not truth. This is not genuine. This is not authentic. This is not reality. This is not innate intelligence. Ego. I. There is no God. There is no source. There's no creator. It just happened. Survival of the fittest. Laws of the jungle. Might makes right. Power. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no good. There's no evil. There's no what. Everyone is a God. Create your own reality. This is darkness. Why did Hashem send the soul into such darkness? Because it's only here that you show what you're really made up of, your true metal, that you're a source, you're a generator, you're a hydrogen, you can create hydrogen explosions, you can create, generate energy, you have a nuclear energy inside of you, you have hydrogen energy inside of you, you're a creator, a generator of light, through your choice, through your actions, you can light up the night, light up the dark. So a Jew is like a source. A Jew becomes a son. We become partners with Hashem in creation. Equal partners with Hashem. And we show the divine essence within us. Then the divine essence within us emerges. Lessons in Tanya Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky For more Tanya study please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.